Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart. Well, I want to jump back into this tonight and and just, I I want y'all to really try to, if you're able to, try to take some notes. You know, we try to be, you know, old school on Wednesday night to hopefully facilitate the thought process of doing the work, (laughs) you know, not just having a scripture pop up for you, but learning to, to write the address down of the scripture and Go back and study it and, and read it. You guys should never, um, you, you know, the Bible does not ever talk about trusting people. Did you know that? The Bible talks about trusting God. There is, there is a reason for that. When you trust God, your life is a whole lot easier to bear. When you put your trust in people, oh, you're going to be moody. You're going to be angry. You're going to be like Kelly and want to kill people during the week. You'd be homicidal, right? All right? Y'all know I like to pick on people, but Kelly's got a temper. I'm telling you. That's right. That's right. If I ever go to the restaurant, I don't want you to spit in my food for what I just said. Okay? Praise God. I want my grits clean. Amen? Yes. Yes. So what I, what I really want to kind of accomplish tonight um, is us not, I mean, we, we t- listen, any, any, any good um, Pentecostal church is going to talk about deliverance. They're going to talk about being delivered from afflictions, being delivered from addictions, being delivered from uh, your own mind. Any, any good Pentecostal church should hopefully be teaching this and mixing this message in on Sunday morning messages. I mean, how many times, hundreds of times, even since I've been in the short time that we've been here, we talk a lot about getting to that point of restoration, getting to that point of not, not being... Um, you know, subdued, and, and, and I know this sounds offensive, but, but not being a coward uh, Christian, not being a Christian that just, just is silent all the time, but being a Christian that, that stands up for the kingdom of God. How many of you know that the kingdom of God is your purpose? Amen. Your purpose is not your job here on this planet. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to advance the kingdom of God, to be part of the building process of his divine glory here on earth, to prepare people for the coming of Christ. I just want to say that from the beginning because we we are really bad about being sidetracked by all of these issues in this world right now. When our number one focus, your number one focus should not be your spouse. Let's get even worse. Your number one focus is not your kids. Your number one focus is not making money for your kids. Your number one focus is not your grandkids. Your number one first love focus is Jesus. Matthew 6.33 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, meaning your right relationship with him, comma, then all these things will be added to you. If you focus on your, your life on Jesus and building the kingdom, he will take care of every single thing in your life. That deserves an amen, by the way. All right? Because God deserves the amen. God deserves all of it. So let's talk about a gross scripture. It's <laughs> a good way to start. Proverbs chapter 26, starting in verse 11 to 12. Let me read it to you in the Amplified. Now, I'm going to take my time tonight. I don't want y'all to rush me. I don't want you to say a bunch of amens and hallelujahs to make me feel good about myself so that I stop early. I'm not going to do that. If you're silent, I'm just going to keep going. If you're loud, I'm going to keep going because I want us to get through this material, okay? Y'all smile at me, kid, because y'all are, y'all are handsome tonight. Y'all are handsome. Aaron, even you, you're handsome tonight. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes. All right. I met my match with this guy. I love him. I love him. So let's read this together. Um, well, if you have turned to it. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his foolishness. Do you see a man who is unteachable and wise in his own eyes and is full of self-conceit? That's a question. The Word of God goes on to say there is more hope for a fool than for him, or there is more hope for a fool than a man that thinks he is holier than everybody else, that is wiser than anybody else, that is more proficient than everybody else, that is more in touch with God than anybody else. If you're around a teaching of a person that believes that they are better than you on any single level, that is not a person that should be teaching you. If you have a person in your life that says, listen, I'm more mature than you, conversation should stop right there. Because pride has consumed the man or woman that believes that. Let people see your wisdom because of God's wisdom in you. You don't need to self-promote yourself. You don't need to promote God's gifts in you. If the gifts of God are actually working and growing and the fruit of God is growing in your life, people are going to see it. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to view it. They're going to want to be around you because they, they see Jesus coming out of you. You don't need any audience except an audience of one. Right? So let's talk about this first for just a few minutes before we move on. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. This is actually what is called a aphorism, which appears uh, where we read it here in the book of Proverbs. It's also um, 2 Peter 2.2 kind of repeats this. Um, and it, it means that fools are stubbornly inflexible. And this is illustrated with the repulsive um, part of a dog eating its vomit again and again, even though this may be poisonous to the dog. In that day, just so you guys know, dogs in 
biblical days, even in the even in the in the after Christ for at least a thousand twelve hundred years, dogs were considered unclean. So people didn't have pet dogs. I mean, and listen, let's be honest. There are some dogs out there that we have we have created with breeding stuff. All right, they're like a French bulldog should not exist. Okay, like let's just I know they're cute and they're cuddly and they got big goofy eyes and big goofy ears. You know, well so do you, but <laughs> so 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 dogs were considered vile. They were considered unclean. And so when we read the scripture, it's not just talking about the unclean part of a dog throwing up and then going back and eating that vomit. It's actually talking about the vileness of the dog. And so what am I trying to get at here? Biblically, God is referring to us in this vile sense when we say that we want to continue being delivered, being a new person in Christ, being a new creature, as the Bible would say, but then we go back to our old ways. And we start trying to digest the things and the emotions and the feelings and the thought process of our past, and we... Start nibbling on those areas of our life that we grew up doing. So it's an incorrigible nature of a fool that believes that he or she is in the right while God sees this action of going back into bondage. As a, a completely vile act. Now, this is not to put shame on you. This is not for me to feel bad. This is not for you, for you to feel guilty. What I'm trying to explain to you is we talk a lot about being delivered, but the church does not talk a lot about staying delivered. There's a difference. We talked about last week, just briefly, that deliverance is... Is basically from spiritual bondage as it affects people physically through oppression, through depression, through sickness, through mental torment, through addictions, right? So I want to go through a couple of statements tonight. And you can go back and you can read your Bible and you can verify that what I'm telling you is the truth or not. First comment is for you to stay in a state of being delivered from your past, you need to have an obsessive, compulsive behavior about you that avoids the past triggers of your life that trigger you, we could call them gateway drugs, that trigger you to go back to the things that you used to do and just, just it's, it's like, it, it's not like going to the restaurant and you want to order a meal of your past. It's kind of more what I'm talking about with the Bible saying here. It's more like going to Circle K and getting one piece of beef jerky. I don't know where this example is coming from. It's weird, but let's go with it. And it's like, you know what? 
I'm just, I'm just going to chew on this. A little morsel, a little morsel, a little morsel. And pretty soon you're back to Circle K the next day and you're buying another piece of beef jerky. Right? And then maybe you maybe you're like, you know what, God, I don't want to go. I don't y'all stay with me. And I'm talking about it spiritually. Maybe you say to God, you know what, God, I don't want to do this. This is not what I want to live. I don't this this doesn't even taste good to me. This is not even real beef jerky. This jer- this beef jerky is from Circle K. This is not this is not beef jerky from the hunting lease of Texas. It's just horrible beef jerky. It's got to look at the read of the back. It's got sugar on it. It's not good for you. Right? So you say to God, God, I, I repent. I don't want to, I, I don't, I don't want any more of this. I don't, I don't want any more of this fake stuff. I'm not interested in this. And then you repent. And then two, two months later, you start being enticed again because you got emotional. You got upset. You got down. You got depressed about something. Somebody made you angry. And now you have gone to the place of, you know what? I need to stop by Circle K and get another piece of that. You've got to be obsessive, compulsive about staying away from your spiritual Circle K. Y'all, can y'all, are y'all following this tonight? Totally non-confusing. Okay. By you placing yourself in an environment again that you know is detrimental to you, you are of you are not avoiding the temptation. You're walking right into it. So then we start saying, you know what? I'm not going to get what I know messed me up, but I'm still going to go into Circle K and I'm going to get me something else. And pretty soon you went in with the intent to get yourself a sugar-free Gatorade. I don't know where I'm coming. Just, just, just roll with me. But all of a sudden, you got your Gatorade. You're feeling good about yourself. Man, I just walked into Circle K the devil tried to tempt me, and I am not falling for it. And then the cashier says, is there anything else you need to do? Yeah, give me this beef jerky. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? We go in with the right intentional. God, I'm being intentional. But, but, but God says, no, if you were being intentional, you never would have gone into the circle K. Because the circle K is a trigger for you to go after that morsel that I have said is going to take you down a bad road. So you've got to be obsessive compulsive. Why are you still hanging out with people that are drug addicts when you have been freed from drugs? Um, oh, pastor, I'm going to minister. No, uh, you're going to have to show me in the word where God has called you to minister to your best friend from your childhood that has pulled you into the dirt a hundred times and you have defaulted on your Christianity a hundred times. You're going to have to show me in the word where God sent you to him to try to save, your, save his soul. You can't find it. Why? Because God knows that that person is a trigger to you. God does not do that. Now, I'm, listen, I'm talking about current events in your life. I'm not talking about being delivered from something. And maybe this is the case to you're delivered from, from alcohol for, for 40 years. And you have avoided every single thing in your life that is related to alcohol. But one day, 
You go into the same place that God told you years before you can't go into. So it's a relationship too, right? You pick up that phone and you call somebody. I'll tell you guys a story. So before Candace and I met, um, right before I started Bible college, this would have been in like 1998, I was engaged. And I, I thought this girl was the one. And, you know, we were self-proclaimed in love, and that was the direction that we were going. And so I went off to Bible college, and about three weeks later, she broke up with me. <laughs> I was like, what? I packed up my suitcase. I got four other guys in my dorm. I'm leaving school. Oh, I can't handle it. She broke up with me. Y'all have all done this. Don't act like you haven't. Now, if you married your high school sweetheart, maybe you didn't go through heartbreak, but you know, whatever, you're a small percentage. <laughs> Kelly again. <laughs> so. So I, I left, I packed my suitcase. Bible college is only about two hours from my house in Spring, Texas. Where do you think I went? You think I was taking my suitcase and going home to wash my clothes? No, I was going to Amber's house. Oh no, Amber, you're going to talk to me. <laughs> or you're not going to uh, text break up. I mean, text wasn't even out that long, <laughs> right? And she already knew how to do it. This woman's evil. This is the Jezebel spirit. I didn't even know what a Jezebel spirit was, but I'm going to call her that now. <laughs> so I go and, and, and we talk and we talk it out. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is a good thing. This is God. I was still hurt. She was hurt. She felt like it was the Lord. It was the Lord. Turned out, right? Sometimes for God... To deliver you from something, he has to deliver you before you need deliverance. Sometimes God will end something that looks fruitful. I want you all to hear this because we always think that it's got to be something we're aware of. Because we think that we can create. You can't. There's only one creator. God will remove you out of a healthy relationship to where in that season it seems healthy, he will end that simply based on knowing the road that's coming that he sees that you can't. And he will remove you and you will be mad and angry and uh-uh-uh, I'm going to get that person back. But I'm going to tell you right now, when God removes people from your life, you need to say, thank you, Jesus. Because if I had, and I could have challenged it, I probably could have weaseled my way back into that relationship. I could have done this and I could have done that. Because we all know how to manipulate our way back into something that God doesn't want us to be in. That's an amen point right there. Amen. Right? I could have done that, but I didn't. Where did I go next with the suitcase? I went home. Used the washer and dryer. Had a cry with my dad. 
My dad was a very, very good father. In fact, he, within a, a three-month period of that is when he actually got saved, when I was in Bible college. Hmm. That's a thought right there. I wonder, I wonder what would have, could it have changed the, him accepting Christ if my behavior patterns had gone a different direction? Could my testimony at that point that I've been striving, so I'm, I'm 20 years old, I've been saved for five years already working on my parents, could my response to the breakup with her, uh, a, a hugely negative response more so than I had in front of my parents, could, that, could my testimony have adversely affected their call to God? Absolutely. If you say no to that, you, don't, you haven't read the word. Because our testimony as Christians is accounted as big fruit, our character, our integrity. Sometimes God will remove people that you don't want removed from your life in order to, to, to stop the cascade of needing deliverance later from a situation. God has, isn't that so great that God exempts you from pain? Now, sometimes he lets us go through it. And sometimes we push God aside and we say, no, God, I, I want this relationship. You, she's a Christian. I'm a Christian. We both love the Lord. This has got to be of you, God. And he just says, <laughs> right? Disciples are in the boat with Jesus. They're freaking out because there's a storm going. The boat's all over the place. They're up and down. What's Jesus doing over in the end of the boat? I don't know if I sound like that when I snore, but that's, that's pretty awesome right there. Jesus is not worried about stuff. We're worried about stuff. You think, you think that, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father? Does he have concern for his kids? Of course. Does he love his kids? Does he have compassion? Does he have passion to see them grow and move and mature and, and be as the, the healthiest versions of themselves as possible? Yes, he wants that. But Jesus is not sitting up there uh, sinning at the right hand of the Father and worry. There's a difference between worry and concern. Usually worry involves something you can do nothing about. Concern is... Hey, you know what, Lord, my, my, my son is gone tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go search for him. That's concern. I'm going go, so to go, I'm going to get in my truck and I'm going to go search for him. And if I find him, then that's great. Then I fulfill the concern. But, but if I don't find him, I, it's out of my hands. It, you, this, is, this is fruitless. It brings me to another point. Not, God has not called you to go searching for everything and everybody to try to help everything and everybody. God calls you to specific divine appointments. What about marriage issues when it comes to deliverance? So if you got, you got a, a spouse, man or woman, that is fasting and praying for their spouse to do better, you're doing it for the wrong reason. I had a revelation of this this week. Your first goal in fasting and praying for your spouse to do better starts with you examining your actions towards your spouse first. That's good preaching right there. 
Examine yourself. Because just because you have a perception that you're the good guy in the marriage or the good gal in the marriage doesn't mean you actually are. And maybe your attitude is what's hindering your spouse from getting saved. Ouch. That stinks that we have to look at ourselves first before we... Oh, wait. I think there's a scripture about that. Oh, here it is. Get the telephone pole out of your own eye first. And then you can worry about the piece of sawdust and somebody... Message Bible. I know we don't really use the message Bible. That's a cool verse in there about sawdust. Isn't it, Aaron? <laughs> so, we got to work on us. What about... How we're asking. What, what about the deliverance that we need to stay? We've been delivered of something. We want to stay in the state of deliverance. Uh, the Bible warns us about asking God for the wrong stuff and not being in the right frame of mind. James chapter 4 verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. When you see the word amiss, this is a great Bible study to do right here, just on this word amiss. What it means to ask, to pray, to petition God amiss is everything, let me make it easy for you, it's everything that is out of the will of God that you're praying for. If you're not praying in the will of God, God, if this is your will, you don't get to tell God what his will is. God, we know that you're going to heal this kid right now of spinal cancer. No, you don't. Oh, but I thought I had, I thought I had the authority to heal people. No, you don't. You dumb. We petition and we pray to God in trust and in faith. God, if it's your will, this child would come out of this cancer and be free from it. That's how we need to be praying. It is God's will, not yours. Now, I know we want to go around spouting off a bunch of stuff. You, you, and you, and you, and you. I know you all have half a liver, but your liver is whole right now. Did you see that person's liver? Have you examined that person's liver? You are praying and you are speaking out amiss. Amiss. If you want to be in line with God doing his will, you need to be praying the will of God. Lord, let it be your will if that's what you want on this situation. That's how you pray. Oh God, you need to do this and this and this. You're God. I'm going to put you on the spot today. God's like, oh, you're going to put me on the spot. Oh, you're going, to, you're going to challenge me to do something that's out of my will? Who are you? I'm the painter and you're the canvas. You can't paint me into a situation of doing something that is not in the will of God. See, what we don't understand is there is a, a, a plan and a purpose for every single person and time frame and season on this earth. Past, present, and future. And it is our faith in God and our trust in Him that says, God, I believe and I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to run away from you. If you need to take one of my kids, then you do it. And unfortunately, me and some of you are going to have to prove this. Your faith will be tested. 
You don't have to prove that what you say and how you preach to people, you actually can back up. And many people, many Christians cannot do that. It's always easy to preach a good game. What does Mike Tyson say? Everybody is tough until they get punched in the face. Right? Mike Tyson needs Jesus, by the way. Let's pray for him. What about this? We've got a lot of different points here, and I can't preach every single one of them tonight. But what about... And I just wrote this in here this morning. Getting... Deliverance is one thing and sustaining it is another. So there's several key things, I've just said some, and to maintaining the areas that God has delivered you from. So let's let's get a, a, a little bit more into that since this is something that seems to come up with in counseling for I mean the twenty-four years that I've been in ministry. Is if you have a problem with lust, if you have some type of sexual addiction, and you have a preconceived idea that pornography is not adultery, then you need deliverance. Because Jesus said, even if you look at a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery. But most people read that verse, some in this room, and they don't believe that to be adultery because there hasn't been any physical contact. Well, your theology is wrong about that. So guess what? Other than Jesus... Every man has committed adultery. Maybe there's a scattered few. I don't know. I'd like to meet them. <laughs> I'd be really impressed. I was playing golf with my mentor many years ago when my back worked. And we were playing golf. And of course, I was beating him. <laughs> And I think at that time he was he was, he was about eighty now, so he was he's he's he was about sixty-two. I said, "Hey, Larry, I've been married a few years now, a great wife, great marriage." I said, "At what point?" I'm looking at him. You know, you're you're sixty, you're older. You know, you're past stuff. You've accomplished. You know, you ain't struggling with nothing. You're an evangelist. You're going to prisons and preaching. You're going to gym. You're going all. You're just preaching. I mean, literally, Larry preached um, over you know 320 times a year. And and I I said I said Larry, I just hit a great wedge shot, and he was embarrassed. I felt good. I'm serious. I got a picture of this. It really was a good shot. And. And, and, I, and I, I said, Larry, at what point will I not be attracted to other women? He said, what? At what point? Do you, 
And he said, Court, when that happens for me, I'll let you know. He was laughing. I was not. What? Right? So I'm 20 something. Right? No. You're like ancient. I'm just being honest. Yeah. I'm like, you're, I'm in my 20s. This is like, this is, this is difficult. And he was very truthful with his answer. Was he committing adultery on his wife? No, never. But doesn't mean that he wasn't tempted to. Just because you are delivered from something does not mean that you get the shielded response from God that you don't have to keep fighting the battle. You know, we can be in a war and never be shot at, right? You can be in a position as a Marine or in the Navy, the Air Force, the National Guard, Army, and you can be in a position where you never hear a gun fired. Doesn't mean you're not in the war, right? Just because you guys have not maybe seen, a, 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 I mean, Candace and I, we see spiritual attacks it's literally every single day of our lives. Since I've been in full-time ministry, every single day there is some type of spiritual attack. Some of you may say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I see spiritual attacks, but I don't, I don't necessarily see one every day, maybe once a month, maybe once a year, maybe once a this or the. I'm just telling you, just because you're not seeing spiritual attacks every day does not mean you're not in a fight against the enemy to walk back into an addiction. I was telling Nicole many months ago, a couple of years ago now, that Celebrate Recovery, everybody in the church should be in Celebrate Recovery. When I hear people say, hey, pastor, I never struggle with anything. My first thought is, yes, you do. My second thought is, if you're not struggling with anything in your life, you about to die. You... You are about to be called up like Enoch and you're just going to disappear. Praise God. But everybody, and it may be subtle, maybe under the radar. It may be something so little that you don't even think it's a struggle. But somebody that is addicted to pornography can't just go to a grocery store and stand in a line and see all the magazine covers. Right? You don't understand there are triggers To people that some of us do not understand. The enemy will put things in front of you to pull you back into demise and demoralization and the depression and the shame of entering back into that addiction. Struggling with alcohol and you want to get a job as a bartender? You're a man that struggled with sexual sin and you, you want to go you want to go minister at the strip club? No, that's not God. I'm, I'm coming up with stuff that I've heard in the ministry. I am not making this stuff. I need to write some kind of a book. 
Do not allow the enemy to separate you from what you know to be holiness and righteousness and get you back in that spiritual circle K to entice you. Sometimes it only time. I mean, look, look at a, what a heroin addict, a crack addict. For the small percentage of people, and I'm talking a small percentage of people that have been full-blown meth addicts or full-blown um, crack, excuse me, crack addicts, for those people that made it out alive and are serving the Lord, did you know that they have to stay away from anything and anybody that has some type of pull to that past? Does that mean they're not delivered? No. What it means is you've got to be precise in your walk with God. You can't take detours in area. Now listen. I've never been drunk. I've never smoked a cigarette. But I can go into a bar easily and minister to people at a bar. Because I, don't, I, have, I, mean, I haven't had a drink of alcohol in like two weeks. Kidding. I just wanted to see. I wanted to see. No, literally, it's been 25 years or so. And, and, and I never had a draw to it then. So I don't, I don't have an issue with, 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 with doing that. that. And I would take other people with me that don't have an issue in that area. But us guys are not going to go down the block and start ministering to women in, in a way that could be some type of stumbling block or, or area of temptation. I'm just not going to do it. Because it's not worth having to face a trigger that God has already told me to avoid. You guys get it? <coughs> Stay with me. We're going to pray. 